0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at moonpig.com. Moonpig.com.
1: Today's episode has been sponsored by Jay McLaughlin. Jay McLaughlin is a timeless lifestyle brand with incredible style and a spirit of connection. new customers and listeners of my podcast with special code ZIBBY20, capital Z I-B-B-Y 20. That's 20% off for new customers and listeners of the podcast with special code capital Z ZIBBY20. Take advantage of it today. My favorites are this white open long cashmere sweater that I've been wearing on every flight that I've taken on this tour. I have a blue with light blue horizontal stripes sweater. Several dresses I even wore on Morning America. Check it out. Jay McLaughlin. Thanks so much. And definitely check out those shows as well. Ruta Cepetis is the author of "I Must Betray You." She is an internationally acclaimed number one New York Times bestselling author of historical fiction, published in over sixty countries and forty languages. Cepetis is considered a crossover novelist, as her books are read by both teens and adults worldwide. Her novels Between Shades of Grey, Out of the Easy, and Salt to the Sea have won or been shortlisted for more than 40 book prizes and are included on more than 60 state award lists. Between Shades of Grey was adapted into the film Ashes in the Snow, and her other novels are currently in development for TV and film. Winner of the Carnegie Medal, Ruda is passionate about the power of history and literature to foster global awareness and connectivity. She has presented to NATO, to the European Parliament, in the United States Capitol, and at embassies worldwide. Ruda was born and raised in Michigan and now lives with her family in Nashville, Tennessee. Oh, shoot, I forgot to look her up when I was there. Anyway, next time. Follow her on Twitter and Instagram at Ruda Cepetis. Welcome, Rita. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss I Must Betray You. Thank you so much for having me on. I learned so much about Romania in this book, and I had no idea, and I feel very foolish for admitting this, but I didn't know the extent of the communist... Protocols, the extent of, you know, how watched everybody was, how similarly everyone was forced to live, how much brutality, how much, like all the things in the book are just not only the story itself, which was incredibly compelling, but even all all of what you wrote about it at the end and the sources and the pictures and. I, I had no idea. I, I just didn't even really, I had a sliver of an idea, but certainly not an idea. And this book just completely brought this all to light for me. So first of all, thank you. And second of all, you know, now that I've rambled, but talk about what your book, the story is about and and, and what compelled you to write it.
2: Well, I will start with the second question first. And thank okay. you so much, but do not feel foolish exactly what you, you've you expressed, that you did not know about Romania. You did not know what happened to the Romanian people. I didn't either. And I'm the daughter of a victim of communism. My father fled from Lithuania when he was a child and spent nine years in refugee camps before coming to the States. And so I wrongly thought, you know, assumed that I had you know, an understanding of post-war communism. And when I was on tour in Romania for my first book, I realized I knew nothing about what had happened to more than 20 million Romanian people. How do we not know this story? All of us and all of your listeners, we probably know Romanian people and we don't know their story. So that's what inspired me to, to write the book. I'm drawn to these underrepresented parts of history. And the story follows a 17-year-old guy, Christian Florescu, who is blackmailed by the Romanian secret police to become an informer for the regime. And Christian is expected not only to inform on his neighbors, his friends, his girlfriend, and really betray everyone, But he decides that he's going to turn the tables and he's going to inform on the regime and he is going to get information to the American embassy. So the betrayed becomes
1: the betrayer who betrays who. um, And that's a little bit about this story. Wow. It's hard to even comprehend. I mean, a lot of the books on this podcast, a theme is the corrosive power of secrets, right? Having to keep a secret. What happens when you're the keeper, when someone keeps it from you, when it enters into a dynamic, there's this distance that it immediately adds to any relationship, which then breeds a sense of loneliness and all of that, right, all of which have, have been happening here in your book. But to extrapolate that to an entire nation of millions of people, the ramifications of something like that are just almost unfathomably large and pervasive, And when you make it a generational to generational thing as well, I mean, it's crazy. Anyway, not to mention all the brutality and you even had some statistics about the Jewish population and how at, and I should look, I think I underlined it at some point, but how now there are about 3000 Jews in, in a, Millions and millions of among millions and millions. Whereas before, I feel like you said there were something like 280,000 Jews and just how and the forced. Well, anyway, I have so many thoughts. The, the, <laughs> the forced experimentation on the women in the workplace, this fertility experimentation. I mean, all this is unthinkably horrific.
2: Right. It sounds dystopian, right? Yes. So we're yes. living in this dark world of enforced obedience. Your nutrition is controlled. The electricity is controlled you, and, and the utilities. You don't know when, you know, the lights will turn on or off or when you'll have water. Or And that was a form of control. And then recruiting civilians to be informers was so terrible. The Roman- there were so many Romanians who helped me with this book. They're really my co-writers. I could not have done this without these true witnesses who imagine how traumatic that must have been to revisit these times and discuss them with me. And with regard to your comment about secrets and the corrosive nature of secrets, many Romanians told me that that this form of control and power and, you know, not knowing who you might be able to trust, if someone in your own family might be an informer. And they explained to me that this dictator, Ceausescu, that, you know, he betrayed other countries. I mean, the United States and England, You know, they were all thinking he was this benevolent guy and working with him and in some cases supporting him. But that in betraying others, the Romanians told me that they felt that sometimes they were forced to betray themselves. Mm-hmm. And, and that feeling of being a traitor to your own soul, it broke my heart. And then to have the story misunderstood or, as sometimes happens, narratives form, right? So the narrative about the fall of communism is often the fall of the Berlin Wall. And the narrative about Romania in the early 90s was that of orphanages. But we didn't have the full story, mm-hmm. you know, and we were missing so much. And I
1: feel that's so unfair to the people who experienced it. I even watched a documentary about Nadia Comaneci. So I, I, like, I actually had some of this knowledge, but not in the way that you communicated it. And I know that she was a participant in your research, which is amazing.
2: And talk about generous as well. I mean, and, and Nadia is so humble. She, of course, I, I was a super fan and I had all these questions, but rather than speaking about herself, she was so intent upon me understanding what the average Romanian citizen must have experienced and the importance that I focus on, let's say the mom You know, here's a mother who's trying Mm -hmm. to provide for her children and and amidst this atmosphere of terror, how some Romanians still found it in their heart to be generous, to help each other, even at, at, you know, at the cost, at their own cost, you know. And um, that was really, really interesting to me. And a note about Nadia growing up, you know, as a Lithuanian American, when the Baltic nations were occupied, you know, the names Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia, they were just taken off the map and it just said Soviet Union. And I remember watching the Olympics, you know, in 76 with Nadia and remarking that the Romanian athletes, when they were walking into the opening ceremony, they were dressed in their own colors and the word Romania across the back of their, you know, warm up suits. And I remember thinking how lucky they were how fortunate. Oh my goodness. Well, you know, boy, it must be so wonderful in Romania and they're not suffering and how wrong I was. And it took, you know, decades for me to realize that I did not know the story. My gosh. What
1: well, you said earlier about electricity and how it would turn on and off. You have this one scene of the neighbor who you described as having a fallen face that aged 20 years after the electricity went off, in the hospital and her child, her newborn baby who was in an incubator died. I mean, the idea that you could trust a hospital, put your baby in the incubator and then have them just decide like, oh, okay, cutting electricity tonight, that's a life right there. I mean, it's like it's so cold hearted, all of it. It is that the level and
2: scale of the human rights abuses were just incredible. And what also was incredible was the endurance of Mm -hmm. the Romanian people and how they're, you know, Romanians are just brilliant in so many ways and how they, you know, they combated this in their own ways. For example, they would come up with jokes and Mm -hmm. they would joke and imagine the danger of joking about the regime. It could ferry you straight to the secret police office, but they did it anyway. They found these I guess I'll say release valves of, and they were so creative and so brilliant. And it taught me so much about resilience, researching and writing the book.
1: Wow. And the dependence on, and the eventual sort of mind shift provided by American films and how watching them was a huge lifeline. Like there was one scene when I'm always so bad with names Nicholas, I think. Nikolai was like, are could this actually be reality in America? It couldn't, right? It was so unfathomable.
2: Well, and that was an interesting part of my research sitting down with, you know, Romanians who were young I- in the 80s and t- and and many people when I do research, many people will tell me similar things, many t- will tell me different things, but one of the similar threads was the impact of movies from the West. And there was one woman who dubbed these movies into Romanian. And she for them was the voice of freedom. But there were several people who told me that when they first started seeing movies, and I'm talking about movies from the 80s. So like Pretty Woman, Top Gun, which you know now it's having this renaissance. And that they said that initially when they saw those movies, they they thought it was all fantasy. Mm -hmm. You know, these people were choosing their own jobs and they would go into the kitchen and you know, turn a faucet and water would come out. And this was crazy. And then the older that they got and word on the street and conversations, they realized, wait a minute, this this is real, what we're seeing. And there was a historian I met with that said that those movies, those VHS tapes, they loaded the guns that eventually killed Ceausescu, the dictator. That's how powerful exposure to music, to art, music, you know, that freedom of expression, that intellectual freedom that they didn't have, but that exposure to it, it, you know, for the young people, it motivated them. And it was the young people who were the bravest when the revolution arrived, who took to the streets with their, with nothing, just their bare hands to attack tanks. And so
1: many gave their lives, you know, for this. So, yeah. Wow. Even just them noticing the individual choices even something as simple as what to eat and what to wear and even noticing like wait a minute all of this is up to the individual to decide like blew my mind it just blew my mind that that would be so anathema to their own experience and yes and then ultimately led to to this huge you know showdown if you will.
2: Yeah. And and what I didn't realize prior to researching the book was that when Romania finally did, you know, fight for, you know, independence, and sadly a replacement set of communists took over, and their suffering was extended for several more years. And these young people who had fought for freedom felt like their revolution, you know, had been stolen from them. And the book in the end kind of, you know, reflects that. But it, it just gave me an insight, you know, into a culture that I, I knew so little about. And Romania is a gorgeous country. It's absolutely beautiful. And when they were describing to me how Bucharest had been turned, it was once a, a luxury stop on the Orient Express and had been turned into this apocalyptic landscape of the lost. It was just,
1: I, I wanted to convey that atmosphere to the reader so you would feel like you're, you're there. No, I felt it. I felt like I was in this cement one bedroom apartment with like the grandfather in the kitchen and living in the closet. And you could feel the coldness. And I think that's, that's something that is just so, one of the overwhelming things that the whole nation was just cold, right? Like A, cold outside, but B, you know, taking away the warmth among people and The cold-blooded nature of so many of the acts. Anyway, I I worry that I'm making this book sound like a history book, whereas actually it's very much about people and characters. And the way you wrote it is so page-turning, right? You just want to find out what is going on, what's going to happen with Nikolai and his, you know, the girlfriend and, you know, even scenes like them protecting the girl who's walking home and gets attacked by wild dogs. I mean, all of these things, like you paint such a picture of the environment, but then ultimately it's the interior lives of the characters that just like fly off the page and it make it a story, not like a history book.
2: Oh, I I hope so. I did try to write it as a suspense novel. Those who've read my books know that my style, or I should say lack of style, (laughs) is like short sentences, short chapters. But I've found through, you know, writing about times of adversity, you know, despite what's going on, there are universal themes. I mean, amidst war, people are falling desperately in love and they're forging friendships through shared experience. And that's what happens here. The main character, there's a girl across the street that, that he's in desperately in love with. And so we see these, these, I think, you know, hopeful universal themes despite the hardship.
1: Yes, absolutely. Well, it was, you know, immersive and, you know, it's um, I want to say appalling, not the the conditions in which these characters were living were just like I'm like could this have happened like this, really? And then learning that it could have was just imbued this whole other layer of meaning onto the the day-to-day life of your characters and and what they decided and everything. So, yeah. A little bit of everything packed in here. <laughs> well,
2: and also, it also makes us realize, though, how humble Romanians
1: are—that
2: mm-hmm. they speak very rarely of what they endured and how they in- endured it. And they're so generous to speak about you and to ask about you and, 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 you know, what's going on. And, um and, and whereas like Lithuanians, we're so open to, to say, oh, you know, my family went to Siberia and this is what our family experienced. And I, I just really hope that it might open a door. Of course, this is fiction, right. but I hope it might open a door. So people might research on their own and it might lead them to the work nonfiction work of Romanians because my you know, historical fiction sits on the shoulders of nonfiction and memoir and testimony. And in this case, so many Romanians were my co-writers with this. And I really want to give voice to their story and this underrepresented history.
0: PlushCare.com slash weight loss.
1: Well, I have to say that in fifth grade, for whatever reason, I was assigned a research project on Lithuania. (laughs) That was my country. Everybody got like a different place. And I don't know why. Anyway, that was mine. And we didn't know anyone from there. And my mom's like, well, so-and-so is from Estonia. Why don't you talk to her? And I remember interviewing her (laughs) at the time. Anyway... I don't even know that's not even related to what we're talking about but you know with your Lithuanian past it was it was this is like the 80s that you know in the 80s this is what what we were doing in school so <laughs> no, but,
2: but you know what good for your teacher because in the 80s Lithuania wasn't even on the map as its own country it was only after 1991 and you know people from these underrepresented countries you know it it becomes a bit of an identity struggle because i remember growing up You know, in the States, people call me Ruta Sepetis. My Lithuanian name is Ruta Sepetis. And when people would see my name, they'd say, what are you? And I'd say, I'm Lithuanian and then the conversation would just end. And I remember watching movies, like there was an Adam Sandler film where they were trying to make a joke about like oh, the character had a girlfriend and 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 they said, "Oh, she's from Lithuania." And then this woman came in who was bumbling and odd, and it was it was a joke because no one knew. It was like this very far-flung remote place. But people, I think that when their stories remain hidden in the shadows, and the histories of the countries remain hidden in the shadows, you know, people can feel misunderstood. And I know even for myself, when I would say, I'm Lithuanian, very rarely would someone say, oh, well, what is it like to be Lithuanian? Or what's the history of your country? And um, I just think we don't do that. And if we understand the backgrounds and histories, we might better understand our neighbors even. And then once we understand their background, we understand their motivation and that facilitates human understanding, I like to think. And I think that's one of the hidden powers of historical fiction is that, you know, power
1: for dialogue and human understanding. So true. I interviewed recently a man named Maddie Friedman about when Leonard Cohen went on into the Yom Kippur Wars in Mount Sinai. And he was saying in Israel at that time, when you asked where people were from, they just said, I'm, I'm from the Holocaust. Like, that's where I'm from. Like, I'm, it doesn't matter. Like, here's where I am. That's where I'm from. And there's some things sort of similar in that. Like, uh, you know, I am from this place, this place has changed. Like, who does that make me? What is my identity when my nation is, you know, and I think about all the Ukrainians now too, like what is, what are they? I mean, obviously they identify so strongly and I have so much respect for them, but you know, what happens when you're all booted out of your country and Where is, who are you? Who do you become? Anyway, I'm rambling. I'm sorry, but. No, uh, you're not (laughs) not rambling at all because I think we see
2: that people become, you know, courageous lamplighters and we see the power of the human spirit when families are separated and people are displaced. And it's, of course, it's awful to see history repeating itself, but I, I really try to also cling to the strength that, that, you know, the Ukrainians are are showing the world. It's so inspiring.
1: So when you're writing a book, how do you go back and forth with your regular life? Like, t- sh- tell me about a day where you're like sitting there and like how often you, and then what happens when you like shut your computer down and get up? And like, is it easy for you to go from this intensity to then whatever else you're doing? No, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's it's not. If I mean, and I would I think it would be a little bit weird if I
2: could write about, you know pain and death and destruction and then be like oh now it's time to make dinner no but but you know someone once told me that compassion is being able to hold both you know hope and hardship and love and loss at the, at the same time and that made sense to me and i think to write authentic historical fiction where the reader feels connected to the character and feels empathy towards what they're experiencing. I have to kind of get in the trenches. So what I do is I carve out large blocks of time to write and allow myself to go there, you know, into the trenches. And also, I feel a great debt to, the, to these people who help my research. And I I want to deliver something great just, you know, for them, you know, to honor them. And, and uh, so I really, I do allow myself to go there and then I have to sort of slowly come out of it. So on the, the tail end of, let's say a a writing bender, (laughs) I will, uh, instead of writing 14 hours a day or being in it 14 hours a day, I'll sort of wean myself off and that, and that helps, but yeah, it's, I'm a probably a really bad candidate for this. Because I, get, I get so emotional, but then I think, well, maybe it's the fact that I, I care so deeply about these human beings. I feel really, really invested. I, I laugh with my other friends who write historical fiction because they say, Ruta, you're nuts. You are not, I will go to the nth degree to hunt down a detail for authenticity, you know, and, and I, we, I laugh with my other friends who write historical fiction. They're like, you're crazy. And don't tell anyone you do that because then they'll expect us to do it too. <laughs>
1: oh my gosh. So on a day when you're not writing, what do you, what's your life like? Like, what do you love to do when you're not working?
2: Oh, I live just outside of Nashville and I it's lovely and I love to walk. I love to be outside. And it doesn't matter if it's winter or summer. You know, there's that saying, you know, to go To truly go inside, you need to go outside. And I believe that. I get my best ideas for plotting and dialogue when I'm taking walks. And how cliche is that, right? Like the writer who takes a long walk (laughs) in the woods. But for me, it really works. That, That combinatory play of moving, physically moving, and either listening to music and activating a different part of my brain I can put together plots and scenes and dialogue. So even when I'm not writing, I am kind of writing and crafting and reflecting
1: on story and history and things like that. Love it. Yeah, you can't can't really escape it right? It follows, the the, the books kind of follow you everywhere you go. (laughs) Well, and story follows us, right? And and something I do is I go
2: to, and I think a lot of writers probably do this, but here in the South, these these estate sales are really great. I go to a lot of estate sales and I'll wander through these estate sales and every item has a story attached to to it. The way shoes are worn at Mm -hmm. the heels, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this woman, she danced herself to death. Or a dress that has a cigarette burn in a really odd place. The everything to me is story. And at these estate sales, I don't know. I just I love going to estate sales and I I don't, you know, often buy too many things, or it's not that I'm buying things, but um I'm looking and, and immersing myself
1: in those stories. And so that's like a little hobby of mine. Hmm. They're like artifacts. Yeah, exactly. Like looking at artifacts in a museum or something. I actually I was in Charleston. Years ago, maybe six years ago, and we went to one of these like jewelry stores. I cannot consignment jewelry stores anyway. that's where I ended up getting my ring with my husband. and I remember sit- sitting there in the store and like holding it, and I'm like, well, who is the woman who wore this before me? Right? What was her story? Like, who could she have been? Like it could be anything. Did she live around here? Like, which house did she live in? Like I'll never know, and yet it would be around my finger. Forever, the way it was around her finger, forever. Like it's just so wild. Anyway, I love start- that
2: you think that way. I yeah. love that you think that way because it does have story. Att- there, there's a story there. There's a plot. There's a mm-hmm. setting. I mean, for writers, you know, there was dialogue. There was all the elements of story are in that ring, and then of course you created a whole new, you know, story around it. Yeah.
1: All right. Well, maybe I'll try some historical fiction. <laughs> yeah, I think you should. Yeah. Well, anyway, it turns out I bought the ring or we bought the ring and then brought it up to New York where I live and I needed it resized because it was too big. Another clue about this woman. And when the jeweler went to resize it, they said, actually, there's a huge crack that you can't see with the naked eye, but the diamond is is cracked. But the place I bought it had like I had taken out the insurance or whatever. So point is we got to send it back and I got my money back. So the actual ring went there, but then I had the jeweler here make an exact copy of what it looked like. So that's, that's why I have this one.
2: That's an even better story. <laughs> and don't you wonder how did that diamond get cracked? Get cracked? Did, right? she did she clobber someone? Yeah. Did she fall? Did she, you know, Yeah. oh, that's that were actually you she died. Were you, were you tempted to keep the cracked diamond and ask for a discount? Or or no, you didn't want um, the cracked.
1: No, I thought about it a minute, but then maybe this was a, a sales hook. But the jeweler up here said, you know, over time it would get worse. And right. like, there were reasons why you should not wear a, a cracked diamond or whatever, even if I had gotten the discount. But yes, I think I was tempted because I liked the history of it. And like, yeah. I love the idea of wearing an antique ring and everything, but Absolutely. not if it's totally broken, but... Right, right. Anyway, okay. I don't even know how we ended up on that tangent, but <laughs> I guess material from the South is is rife with story and who knows where it will lead. <laughs>
2: exactly,
1: exactly. What book, what are you writing now?
2: What are you working on? Well, about? I just finished a book, sort of that it pertains to what we're talking about. My books require a lot of research and I have to travel for this research. And during COVID, that just became impossible. I was not able to work the way I was accustomed to working, to being, you know, boots on the ground in another country. So I wrote a book helping writers craft their own story. And just, I believe every human being has a story. And sometimes it's intimidating to get started. And I wanted to show them in easy prompts and easy ways, how they can open the door to their memory and all the elements that we've been discussing, character, plot, setting, They're all there. And even if someone doesn't want to publish a novel or or write a memoir, I want them to be able to archive their own Mm -hmm. story. I think every adult wishes that we, you know, had asked our parents or our grandparents or that we had better archived our story. So the book is called You, the Story. And uh, I just finished that. And that'll be coming out next year.
1: That sounds great. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) It's A Writer's Guide to Craft Through Memory. That's, I mean, very, very useful. You should team up with Rabbi Steve Letter has a book that's coming out this June about how to write letters for the people you love, right? Like what to leave. It's it's called like how to write a life or something, but it's something similar, right? It's taking memory and, and packaging it for uh, you know future generations. But I don't know, you oh, two that, would have it. Oh, I think you would have an interesting conversation. He's great.
2: Yeah, that book sounds absolutely amazing. Yes, <laughs> I would love that.
1: Okay. Well, I I'll, I'll put you in touch if you need the help. I <laughs> okay. love it. Great. Well, Ruta, thank you so much. Thank you for teaching me so much about Romanian history, for opening up this vast sort of sympathy feeling and understanding and of a of an entire nation state and you know, filling some gaps in my obvious terrible history repertoire. Anyway, and and the and then the story itself and keeping me so engaged and, and rooting for someone and you know, the, the crying with the sister and, you know, just all the emotions that the story evoked. So thanks. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And I hope your listeners might pick it up. It's a quick read. (laughs) Yes. I must betray you, but I won't betray you.
2: (laughs) Okay. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank you so much. I was so grateful to do this.
1: Oh, it was my pleasure. And I'm sorry, I'm going to miss your event here. I'll have oh, to check that's your okay. tour schedule. Maybe I'll catch you somewhere else. I'd love to meet you in person. I would love to meet you in person too. That would be fun. All right, take care. Okay, you take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music.
0: Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig.